The diabetes tech innovations of today, like continuous glucose monitors, automated insulin algorithms, pumps with meal detection tech, and faster-acting insulins, have all allowed for tighter control of type 1 diabetes and reduced fear of long-term health ramifications. Today's episode will take us back in time to 1956, to a time when that wasn't the case. Michael Dardanelle was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 70 years ago. This was just 20 years after the discovery and distribution of insulin. Welcome to the Diabetic Podcast. I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes, and I am so fortunate to have been diagnosed at a time with incredible technology. I talk on this podcast about diabetes tech, news, and management with educators, tech leaders, and those thriving with diabetes. When I first connected with Michael, I was inspired by his resilience through multiple health obstacles pertaining to his diabetes and impressed by the work he does for the community. He's an admin for multiple Facebook groups, creating community and providing support for type ones using Dexcom CGMs, Tandem, and Medtronic pumps. His mantra is to never let diabetes win. And he shared his remarkable story growing up with type one at a time with way less tech than we have today, and explains how he dealt with issues such as neuropathy, amputations, and more. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and on all podcast platforms, so be sure to follow wherever you prefer. And if you're on YouTube, be sure to give the video a like and comment below with your thoughts. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media and YouTube channel is not medical advice and is for educational purposes only. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. All right, here it is. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing your, your story. When we first spoke, um, it was just fascinating talking to you and I'm, I'm excited to share you and your story with my viewers. Thank you, Justin. It's, it's really a pleasure to do this. Um, I enjoy sharing my stories because they're important. They're important for people to know that I'm a diabetic and what to do if. I, I am not ashamed at all to tell people that I have a condition that they may be able to help and save my life before they even realize it. Before we get into your story, I want to hear, how did you find my channel and, and why do you watch it? <laughs> I watch it because I find a lot of information that, that I may not have known before because technology is so new these days. Uh, it, it's, re it's really still in its infant stages. And how I found it, probably just streaming through YouTube, mm. you know, and when I see the word diab anything that catches my eye. So the first time I heard you, God, it was, it was a while back. It really interested me to see what you had to say and to listen to your energy. So one led to two, two led to four, four led to eight and so on. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you watching and following along, and I, I'm so glad that we connected. Um, let's go to the very beginning. Uh, you were diagnosed in 1956. 
I was. Can you kind of take us back to that time when you were diagnosed? Specifically, like, what do you remember pre-diagnosis around then? Let me start by saying that I feel, and, and everybody else feels, I've been a diabetic my entire life because it doesn't just happen overnight. You can't be non-diabetic on Thursday and a diabetic on Friday. So we feel that I've been a diabetic all my life, but I was diagnosed uh, and what we consider my diaversary of October of 1956. Prior to that, I had been losing weight and you know, I have to put my thinking cap on because I was only nine, do the math. Uh, I loved sweets. My mother used to tell me at breakfast time, and I remember this, I was eating a bowl of Rice Krispies and I would pour tons and tons of sugar and a sliced banana. My mother would say, you know, you're going to get a disease where you can't have sugar anymore. And I said, there is no such disease. And this is before I was diagnosed. Wow. And then she noticed that I was waking up every night, going to the bathroom and I was losing weight, constantly thirsty. And I don't think back then that my mother had a whole grasp of what diabetes was. I certainly didn't. And so she took me to the doctor. He did the continuous glucose testing and uh, came back positive. Wow. So, so your mom, she noticed something was up. She saw these signs. Did your doctor, when they heard you were having these symptoms, did they have a hunch that that's what it was? Was that pretty well, common knowledge? I would say probably, but he didn't tell me. I just knew that, that I was in there for blood tests every half hour, and which bothered me. I don't, I, at that time, I didn't care for needles. Now that's like drinking coffee. Um, he probably did figure that I was diabetic, but didn't say anything until he got the results of the uh, GTT back, the glucose tolerance test. Um, so I don't remember how he told my mother, but I remember my mother being very upset. My mom and dad both were very upset. What came after the doctor visit? Did you, I think you told me you went to the hospital. Yeah. Were they teaching you how to manage this? Like what was that experience? They did. They uh, taught me how to give injections on an orange my understanding is that that's still done today. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. At that time, we did not have plastic insulin syringes and disposable needles and so on. Back then, it was a glass syringe and uh, a needle on a hub that you actually, I'll use the pen for, for you actually put the, the needle on and turned it so it stayed onto the syringe. The syringe was all glass. And in order to use that and fill it with insulin, you had to dry it off with because it was either sitting in alcohol or it had to be boiled. That was the way it was sterilized. After that, you know, you in, you pull the insulin out out of the the out of the, into the glass syringe as you do today into a, a disposable syringe, and it was ready to go. Make sure you tap it on the side like that to get any air bubbles out. And you're good to go. And then the injection process is the same as it is today. 
Okay. And, and how many syringes did you own? Did you just, because it sounds like they're reusable. Did you just have like five to 10 of these that you'd continue to boil every day or? I, no, we didn't boil. We kept them in alcohol. Okay. I probably had maybe three or four because you have to have backup. If one of them breaks, if the, the plunger, if you pull the plunger out, it's very fragile. As you pull the plunger out and if you bend it a little bit, it could break. Wow. I, I don't think they were expensive back then. Maybe a dollar. Okay. And, and you know, it's crazy to me. Insulin was just invented and began going to consumers, you know, in the early 30s. Was, it was insulin? Brand new yeah, then. it was brand new. Was it readily available to you? Was it expensive? What was it like being part of that? It was always available to me. I don't ever remember someone saying, we don't have any. I remember very well uh, the regular insulin that I took, along with the NPH insulin that I took, they had to be mixed together. Um, there were $3 a bottle. Now, why I remember that, I don't know. But I very clearly remember being $3 a bottle. And these insulins were different than what we use today. Do you, could you explain to us what types of insulins these were that you were taking? I was taking one called regular, which is a clear insulin, very similar to what we take today for, uh, in our pumps. They're, they have, they're different in that they were made differently back then than they are now. The clear or the regular insulin was similar to what we have now as Humalog or Novolog. Back then, they were manufactured by using beef and pork insulin. Today, of course, they're man-made. And we never thought that day would come, that we would have insulin that was made in a laboratory instead of from animals. It was I, I can remember them doing that, but I don't remember how it happened. I don't remember my reaction to it. Um, but insulin was pretty much the same, just produced differently. Yeah, at the time or around diagnosis, was blood glucose monitoring a thing outside of the doctor? As we say in sign language, no. <laughs> that was it at the doctor's. As far as home monitoring, there was no such a thing. Uh, there was not finger pricks to check the, the, uh, the, the blood itself. We had urine testing. But even that was different than, than it is today. It, um, when we wanted to find out how much sugar was in our system, we used a something called Clinitest. I mention this to people now and they say, oh, yeah, I remember that where you dip a stick in, a, uh, in urine or something. It was that was way that was not even invented yet. The way we had to do it, I had to. Use a, I looked like a science lab in my kitchen. We had a test tube that was held up about a half an inch from its base. We'd put a, a little white pill underneath that test tube. Then we would add five drops of urine, 10 drops of water, and a pill. And then you would light that little pill underneath the test tube, and it produced an actual flame. And when that was finished... What was in the test tube was either blue or green or orange. The blue meant you were negative for sugar. The green meant you better do something. The orange was high in sugar, what we called four plus. 
if my if I came if I did that and my mother came in, how's your sugar today? I would say it was four plus, and uh, she would say we need to do something about it. And I remember times where I cheated, and I would put ten drops of water in there and the pill and light it, and oh, it's blue! Wow! Because I wanted I wanted people to be proud of me for taking care of myself the way I did. A message to the viewers, don't do that. They caught on to me when they took me to the doctor. I was showing, uh, you know, an actual blood test where it showed very high in sugar. And I didn't, I don't remember that I knew what, what things like A1C was. And to be honest with you, Justin, I feel very lucky that I have lived for 77 years with this. It's not a disease you fool around with. It's a disease you have to you have to get to know. It's a powerful disease, but I think most of us out there who suffer from this are more powerful than the disease is. I've always thought of myself in life as a winner in everything I did. I wanted to be good. I wanted to be the best I could be. And I think that shows for 77 years old that I have lasted all these years by being the best I could be. Yeah. And and that's why I really wanted to have you on the show. uh, Because when I spoke to you, even though there have been many obstacles you've overcome and and still um, are dealing with, which we'll get into, to hear your optimism, your perseverance, and leadership in wanting to help others, it's inspiring. And, and I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. And, I'm, and I have a lot more um, I want to hear from you. Before we leave this area, how often were you testing your blood sugar with these pills and these little tests? Like, was this how, how many times a day were you doing that? You were a little scientist. Two times. Two times a day. What? What? When in the day? Morning time and before dinner. Okay. And then based on these readings, would you perform uh, correction, in insulin corrections? There were no insulin corrections that, that I followed at that time. I took my insulin regularly. I had the regular and the NPH. For those of you who don't know, regular is a fast-acting insulin. It peaks in about four hours. And the NPH starts starts basically where the regular ends. NPH comes in and it stays with you for about 24 hours. So there was no correction. We didn't have a sliding scale. Um, I was only nine, so I would not have been the one in charge of doing that. That would have been my mother. And I don't remember her ever saying, oh, you you tested orange. You need a shot. Do you recall lows when you were younger? And, and how often would those have occurred? Were, were they more often than you'd say they are today? Back then, we called it a reaction. I don't know if you've heard that from other diabetics that you deal with. But back then... Uh, you know, my, my mother would say, oh, Mike's having a reaction. 
And she could tell before I did, I guess, by the way I looked, by the way I talked, by the way I acted. I believe my doctor told me, told her that if he starts going low like this, first thing to do, check his urine. And if it turns blue, that means there is no sugar. And you better treat that to, you know, maybe bring something, something up with candy or something like that. If it was orange, I had too much sugar. You, you won't get a low blood sugar on an orange. So if I told my mother that I thought I was having a reaction so that I could get a piece of candy or something, she would test my sugar and my urine. And, and if it would turn orange, she said, you're not having a low. Don't try to, don't do that to me. I wasn't born yesterday. Like Judge Judy says, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's rain. <laughs> Did you ever feel limited compared to other kids? Probably around holidays, I, I did feel limited. I don't feel that limitation now because I wear a pump and a CGM. But back then, I probably did, did feel limited that I couldn't have candy around Halloween or I couldn't have ice cream at birthday parties. You know, my, my grandmother used to, if I ate a candy bar because I knew I was having a low, she says, are you supposed to eat that? I said, yes, grandma, I'm okay. <laughs> and it was not okay for me to eat a candy bar when I needed it, but it was okay. And she'd say, here, you need some spaghetti. And she'd get, bring me this whole bowl of spaghetti. I'm thinking, grandma, do you know what you're doing to me? You don't love me anymore. <laughs> you know, she didn't understand the difference between pasta and sugars where I did. So I had to, to, to deal with that with grandma. Yeah. And I, I think that's something a lot of people still deal with. There's such a common misconception that when you have diabetes, all you're worried about is sugar when it's carbs. <laughs> We're worried about carbs and we need sugar. You know, it, it's, um, it's so funny how, you know, that's just something that's still sticking around, I was doing some research ahead of our interview, um, and I and I learned that an insulin advancement in the 1980s was the development of humulin, uh, the first synthetic human insulin produced uh, by uh, Eli Lilly, or they they brought it to um to market. Do you remember that that change? I do. What was that like? I do when you when you said the 80s and humulin. Uh, you know, I went dying. I, I do remember that. And I, I thought to myself, finally, finally, something is doing to help diabetics. Diabetics, whether type 1 or 2, we still need help. And that's why I encourage people to donate to channels like yours or to the, uh, uh, the, the Jocelyn Clinic to the ADA, American Diabetes Association, I encourage people to do that because it's, it's important that we, we can't push diabetes aside. You know, we, the, diabetes is like the number three or four killer in the United States. Of all, you know, right behind cancer and heart disease comes diabetes. And it's nothing that you mess around with. 
It's a killer disease if you let it be a killer disease. I've chosen not to. You know, and I, I encourage people who are diabetic to do research, go out and help others, because it's, I think, helping people, especially with this disease, whether it's by physically helping them or whether it's by uh, giving them knowledge and information that they didn't have. I love it when I tell something to somebody and they say, I never knew that. It gives me a very good feeling, a heartfelt feeling that I helped somebody. It's very close to my heart to be able to see people helping other people. And that's why I have the channels up on Facebook. I have uh, a, a Facebook channel for the G7 sensor, the G6, uh, the Tandem pump, both Medtronic pumps, the new Mobi that's coming out. Uh, so I, I'm kept pretty busy and it probably drives people crazy, but that's me helping others. Yeah, you're very involved in the T1D community online. Why do you think it's important that these groups exist? Knowledge. Support. It's important that, that especially new people, new diagnosed diabetics, it's important that they know they're not alone. We're out there to help you. We don't want, we have rules in all of my groups because as a medical group and, uh, and, and yes, we do have doctors in the group, but as you have disclaimed on many of most of your videos, we are not doctors. We are here to give information and support only and not medical advice. Today's episode is sponsored by T1D Exchange. You can directly make an impact on diabetes healthcare, treatments, and technology by participating in the T1D Exchange registry. It starts with a simple survey about your life with T1D, and it only takes about 15 minutes. After that, you'll have a personal portal with ongoing T1D study and survey opportunities from research on technology, daily T1D management, and more. Plus, some of these studies even offer compensation. Signing up with the link in the show notes helps support my channel, and it allows me to continue putting out free content. You can sign up at t1dexchange.com org slash diabetic or click that link in today's show notes. Now for the episode. I know that you've had obstacles with your health um, over a period of time and I kind of want to go through some of those and and hear about your experience. You know, I think a lot of things that you were telling me about uh, when we first spoke, I, I didn't know could be a thing um, and I'm kind of hoping that you can kind of let us in a little bit. Are there health problems that you think you may have today related to your diabetes? Um, obstacles is a good word. I remember back in the, when I was, it was in the eighties and we were just getting ready for a trip to Hawaii with my family. And I called my doctor and I said, something's wrong with my feet. They feel tingly. I said, what is going on? He says, oh, neuropathy. I didn't know what neuropathy was. And I learned over the years, it's a deadening of the nerves. 
and it does call major it, it causes major problems with diabetes. Neuropathy, it can affect any nerve in your body. We have nerves all over our body. The doctor said, in fact, it was 1983. The doctor said, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. Well, here I am. How many years later? The neuropathy has kicked in. It has damaged my feet, my toes. Uh, I'm going from bottom to top. My toes became gangrenous. And it was because of an infection because of gangrene, uh, because of neuropathy. It attacked my feet. It attacked my toes. I've had toes amputated because of this. And it went on forward over the years where it attacked my bladder. I have what is called neurogenic bladder. It means I have to use a catheter uh, forever. Then it went forward. Going forward, it went to my heart. These are different times, but I'm just going bottom to top. It attacked my heart back in 1996. I had what I thought was the flu, and my wife took me to the, uh, to the urgent care. And while I was in urgent care, I started vomiting violently. They sent me to the hospital because they said, I'm having a heart attack. And that was caused from the neuropathy surrounding my heart. Well, that was taken care of. And that was 27 years, 28 years ago. I'm doing the math quickly. And then, then it got to my ears. Of all things, to have neuropathy attack my ears, because we have nerves in our ears. It attacked the cochlear hairs in my ears where it killed them. And because of that, I've gone deaf. Now, when I say I've gone deaf, I can hear if I have my hearing aids in. So after that, it started up to my eyes. I have uh, diabetic retinopathy. That's under control. I tell your visitors out there, keep close watch on your eyes. Keep watch on your heart. Keep watch on, on everything. You are not the same as a non-diabetic. Yeah, would you say that you weren't keeping an eye on these things? Do you do you think that there could have been some sort of prevention uh, in that way for you? Is that why you say that? When all these occurred, I really didn't associate them at the time with diabetes. This is why this is what I have learned over that period of time since they started getting these complications to learn more. I am so grateful for Google and for the internet where I can research and, and I tell people, if you don't understand it, go to Google, do research, go to a search and find out, ask your doctor, ask others who are diabetics. Have you experienced this? Go to support groups, join one of my support groups and find out what can you do to help yourself so that you can pass this on to others. In 1997, you said you got a FEMPOP surgery. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that was and why you had to have it? For those who don't know, FEMPOP is a medical abbreviation for femoral popliteal artery bypass. And they call it a cabbage. 
It stands for uh, coronary artery bypass graft. It was just during a routine exam. He found out that I had, had blood circulation that was low in my left leg. So through a series of tests, the doctor said, your femoral and popliteal arteries need to be replaced. Well, what they ended up doing is taking a vein from my right leg, using it as an artery in my left leg. I, I clearly remember that surgery being very painful with the incisions going basically groin to foot. That's a very painful thing. I couldn't walk. I think it hurt me a lot mentally and emotionally as much as it did physically. But it helped open up my artery, which unfortunately the FEMPOP has now failed. Back in last summer, I went to the doctor's office because I had some sores on my feet and on my legs. And he said he would like to try a procedure that would open up the arteries um, down by my ankle and down by my feet. And he said, there's a good chance that this surgery won't work. And if it doesn't work, we're going to have to amputate your leg. I will never forget the emotions that Carlos and I went through. Every time I think about it, every time I mention it, I can't do it with a straight face. I'd like to, I'd like to be able to do that, but I can't. It's even, even though it's almost a year ago, it's still, that's still very fresh to me. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't imagine. I can, I can tell you that there have been many times that I would think to myself, okay, you're diabetic. You've got eye problems, feet problem, legs problem, bladder problems, heart problems. You're 77 years old. What's the point? There is a point. There is a point. There's a point because I am helpful to others, which helps me. There is a point. And don't ever let diabetes win because it's a strong disease, but we are stronger than that disease. And we're going to win, not the diabetes. So this was a year ago that he said this, but then he said that that won't be necessary. Was there, it was that because there was another option or was it because it, you know, things wound up kind of getting better? He said, I want to try one more thing. Okay. And I thought, okay, what's the one thing you want to try, Mr. Dr. Feelgood? I had an angiogram done. It gets rid of some of the clogs, some of the plaque that is built up. And he did that. And he told me, all I could do is hope for the best. And instantly, 
while I was still on the table, instantly he says, I feel I feel a pulse. And he said, I don't know what it is about you, Mike. You're a miracle. This is amazing. Those are his words. Kind of like your doctor, I felt an energy from you and I and I continue to. Um, because, you know, even with all these obstacles, you're, you're a passion of yours is to help others. And it's, um, it's really special because you could just be wallowing. You could just be doing, living your life for you. And while of course you're doing that, you're, you're, you're offering up your time to others. And, um, and I know it must be so appreciated by, by many. Last time we spoke, you said to me that it's important not to let diabetes win. Why is that? It will win if you let it. It's not a disease link. You can't control cancer the way you can control diabetes. You have a choice with how you, how you live with diabetes. Get your carbohydrates in order, get your meals in order, get things in order where you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that with cancer. You can't say, well, if I don't do this, the cancer will go away because it won't. Diabetes won't go away, but you can help it uh, not to be in, in final stages. I feel very lucky that, that, that my doctor has said I'm on the far end of survivability with diabetes. He used that in one of his letters of medical necessity when I was getting a pump. I feel very fortunate to have been diagnosed at a time when it's easier to understand diabetes and how to manage it. It's pretty straightforward and there's some fantastic technology available to us that I'm using. And I know that you are too. Has diabetes technology changed your outlook on the disease? Yeah, it's it's given me a better outlook, especially for newly diagnosed diabetics who are not, who are not as old as I am. Um, it's given me an outlook that there is hope. Are we going to find a cure in my lifetime? I would love that. I have to say probably no. I have to look at it realistically. In your lifetime, I think the odds are in your favor that you're going to see a cure for type 1 diabetes after I'm gone. And I hope that people out there who are listening, who develop this, who are young enough to develop this and see a light at the end of the tunnel and know that they're that that light is not attached to a freight train. Yeah. I can, I can only hope for those diabetics, those people that there is, there is a cure coming. Be patient. It's going to happen. Yeah. I know, I know some viewers listening to this conversation, you know, some of it could be a bit scary to hear or worrisome. Um, but 
today we're very fortunate to have this technology that can um, really work to prevent long-term health concerns. What, what would you say to people listening as it regards to diabetes today and the technology available to them? What I would say to them is use every bit of technology that you can, whether it's doctor visits, uh, the internet, do your homework, be patient, most of all, be kind to yourself. Years ago, I was a DJ on a radio station out here. And when I signed off, it was always be kind to each other, be kind to little doggies, be kind to yourself. That was my sign off. And I feel good about being able to say it then and to be able to say it now. Just be patient and be kind to yourself. And don't let this disease win. It may think it's going to, but it won't. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your your story. It's incredible to see not only how far technology and treatment has come, but um, it's incredible to see your journey throughout and your resilience. Uh, it's inspiring. And, and it feels, this feels like, you know, one of the most special episodes I've ever been able to have. So um, it means a lot. I'm very grateful for, for your saying that, Justin. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here with you on your show. And I just hope people out there will realize that there's a train to come and be on it. It's the cure train. I've, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and a pleasure to share my story with, with the viewers. And I hope that, that you find something that gives you peace with this disease. Yeah. That's what you need is to be peaceful with yourself and find peace with this disease and you'll make it. You'll make it for 68 years. Thanks for listening to today's episode and thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. If you'd like to hear more stories of those with type 1 diabetes or related to it, please comment below on YouTube and let me know. Also down in the show notes today, there is a link to the T1D Exchange registry. It supports the channel when you sign up, but not only that, it helps push diabetes research and treatment forward. And sometimes you get compensated for filling out the surveys. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Links to my YouTube channel and social accounts are in today's show notes. I'm Justin, and I'll see you next week.